Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. Okay, awesome. Hi, thanks for joining me. Hey, um, no problem. So actually, one of the things I, I should have asked you before is, I, I want to make sure that I'm saying your name correctly. Is it Mubasher? Yeah, everybody calls me, so yeah, stick yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah I, uh, <laughs> I like that um, sort of name. I remember when I emailed you, your email was, I should say what it was, but just your website. Oh, no, no, that's fine. It's, it's actually me. on the website. Yeah, it's me at Mubasher.me. So. Yeah, I thought that was a fantastic email. <laughs> 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 it took me a while because I went when I first started like thinking about what my what my do- domain should be and everything like that. I also own my full name, like mabasharikwal dot com is is owned by me as well. But okay. I was like, that's just so boring. Nobody should use their full name as their website. I, I know, but it's I, I was just like, I want to be cool. I want to be like a rock star or something. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I, I, I was it was a bit annoying because dot com was taken. It's some like university over in England that has it, which is even stranger. Yeah. And then, yes, yeah, so I was like, what can I still do? And I was like, well, if I have me as my email address and if, if it's mubs.me, I thought that was, that was pretty cool out there as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Me at mubs.me. That is very, <laughs> sure. If anyone's people, actually listening. People remember it and it's really easy to remember as well. So that's good. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started a personal blog over over the summer. So immediately I was like, what domain should I get? So I get rajithkanna.com. And so rajithkanna.com is not, <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to see if me at rajith.me is available. That's something, <laughs> it's a little note for after. Yep. So yeah, awesome. Appreciate, really appreciate you doing this. And so one of the things that uh, really stuck out to me when I was starting to research people or, or research this shift that I, I mentioned to you before of people leveraging the internet to create online and also the best phrase I've heard for it is called maximizing weirdness. Whatever thing is weird about you that you can't explore in real life or just in the people that are local to you, you can certainly find a place for it on the internet. So I'm just wondering, I guess my first question is, how does the internet allow you to maximize your weirdness? I think, first of all, it, it's kind of an interesting 20 or 30 years. It, it just seems to happen over. If you look back through history, this 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 change, I guess you could call it, happens, right? Like, because I, I was, I just kind of, as you were talking, I was thinking about what happened right when I started university, when, when I was about to graduate from, so I, I went to college, I went to university in England. Uh, I started in 1992 and I graduated in 1996. And right then was when this new thing just came out, like this internet thing was like opening up to non-educational environments, was opening up to people in general and to companies around the world even though the internet itself has existed since the 1960s or so, it was primarily a education and research tool. But in 1995, it was starting to open up and become something that anybody could connect to and become a part of. And so that was for me when that, that this kind of becoming weird and finding your weird and embracing your weird really started for me because all of a sudden I found that yeah, at that point, you can literally connect to anybody in the world. And it was, it was primarily by email at that point. Anybody could get online. Anybody could have a way to connect with other people online. And obviously now with the internet where it is now, it's obviously evolved a lot since then as well. And it's a lot easier for people to put content out there as well. So it's not just that you're available online. You can actually share your thoughts, your beliefs, your interests, and, and actually not just read what other people are thinking, but actually share what you're thinking as well. And I think you know, that's the shift over the last few years. I think that's really, that's really taken hold, I think, is that because the technical barriers to sharing your content and sharing your thoughts and to actually earn money as well online have just shrunk and shrunk, that people are making that shift a lot faster and a lot more eagerly as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Part of me wonders, I I didn't mention this to you before, but part of me just wonders, there's this shift towards independent creators. People go from maybe writing at the New York Times and they start a Substack or something like that. And and so I'm just wondering maybe what your thoughts on are. There seems to be a crisis of trust in, you know, my country in the US, but also just around the world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if 
part of that you, you talked about it, it happened 20 or 30 years ago. And I'm, and I'm just wondering if this is a process of just the, the faith in our established institutions is low. And that's why people are trying to go local to people that they can know and, and get to know more easily and trust. I think that's part of that. Part of it's just people have realized that you you don't get a job now and have it for the rest of your life. I know when my parents were growing up, they got a job out of school, high school, whatever, and they worked at that one company for their whole life almost, it looked like. And I think increasingly people have realized that there's no loyalty from either side, really. People quit jobs and work somewhere else because they're going to make more money. Companies will uh, will cut did divisions or they'll cut employees because they're having a tough quarter or whatever. And I think, I think also people are coming to realize that having the flexibility and freedom of being able to work for yourself and being able to do things on your own schedule without these, without the the sort of overlords, as it were, watching over you, telling you what to do and when to do it. Yes, you make a little bit less money, but but to be able to do the things that you want to do when you want to do them is actually quite a, a, a valuable thing. That was one of the things that really drew me to to working from home. And obviously, there's a lot of people in the middle of the pandemic who started working from home. I've been doing it for 20 years now. I started my first remote job working from home was in the July of, two th- of 2000. And it wasn't really a choice that I made at the time. It was just something that happened. It wasn't like something I really sought out because in in the summer of 2000, nobody thought it was ever going to be a thing. But but yeah, as I as, as I started that job and I looked for future jobs in the past, it, yeah, sort of after that as well, I realized wow, this just being able to set my own schedule, being able to, to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and not be worried about being tied to a screen eight hours a day continuously just because I'm in an office and people expect me to be. In in the office, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for me was that freedom of being able to have my own schedule and and be involved in my life how I want how I wanted to be involved in my life rather than how my job told me I had to be involved in my life was a really important shift. I think a lot of people now that they've seen that they can work from home because I think that was a fear that a lot of people had was that. I'm just not going to be able to work from home. I'm just going to sit in front of the TV for eight hours a day. I'm not actually going to do any work. Just because just you can work from home doesn't mean that you will work from home. But I think now that people have been forced into it with the pandemic, they've seen that, yeah, this can work. And yeah, you know, and honestly, I think you'll find that most people don't work eight hours a day when they're at home. But the reality is that you didn't work eight hours a day when you're in the office either. Like you were standing next to the water cooler, talking to your friends at the office. You were taking a long lunch. You were walking to whatever restaurant you wanted to eat at and stuff. Yeah. So were you really working eight hours a day in an office? No, you're not because you're doing the things that normal human beings do. And and it's okay to do that when you work from home as well. Yeah, I I had a, a, a great conversation with Cortland Allen actually mm-hmm. a few days ago, and and he was talking about I I was just wondering about the distinction between an indie hacker and someone as you mentioned <laughs> taking this time to work for themselves and an entrepreneur, and so the way he explained it to me, he said they're not that different. It's just that in entrepreneurship, you think about it, you're trying to compress twenty or thirty years of work into two or three years to make something. <laughs> glorious in some sense. And so the indie hacker thing that's so unbelievable to me is it says, why be miserable? My time is the most valuable thing that I have. Let me just take control of my time and build something steadily and answer the questions I want to answer. And as you mentioned, you started July of 2000. So you're like way ahead. And what did you think about in terms of how did you start that journey of this is what I'm interested in? These are the questions I want to answer and then when did you make that shift towards actually answering those questions? I think I've always been somewhat curious. I started coding when I was eight years old and it wasn't something that somebody forced me to do or somebody said, oh, you need to learn to code. I was, this was back in 1982-ish. I don't know exactly when I started because I was only eight years old. Yeah, we had a c- c- computer in the house and my, my siblings would play play on it i would play on it more eventually i got bored of what we had like in terms of you only can play the same game so many times and so you just start playing it it, you have this box here that you can type things into and and you can make it do stuff so i think way back then i was i was always curious what can i make this thing do how can how does this this thing work and so you always have this some people i think always just have this curiosity about how things work 
can and how you can improve the things that you have and things like that. So I think that's where it started. And I think, like I said, I've just always had that quest to answer those kind of questions. I think ultimately I had those questions at work as well, right? Eventually I did, I, I went to college for computer science. I studied that. I did computer science with a specialized, specializing in software engineering, even though I didn't, I, it's funny, I tell people I went to university to study computer science, but I was never actually taught cook. I never really taught anything at university because each year that I went to university, the sort of year that they were teaching all of the, the fundamental stuff, I already knew all the fundamental stuff. So I skipped ahead a year. And so the next year that they were teaching all of the more advanced stuff, I had learned the previous year because I was bored in the previous year. So even though I went to university for computer science, I didn't actually learn any new computer science from professors or anything like that. And so I think, like I said, some people just have this curiosity about answering questions that they see in the world around them. And I think once I entered the workforce, it was the same. Like I didn't, and I think that was one of the reasons I really loved working at startups was that they give you the freedom to answer whatever question that you want as well. When you work for a big, large company, you're basically told what to do of every minute of every day. And working for a startup, you're basically told, look, this is what we're trying to do, figure out the best way to do this thing. And so you get to really open your mind up and, and, and answer the question, yeah, this is what we think we're trying to do, but really what's the best way to do that? What's the one question that we can ask and answer that will achieve that? And I think once I went through a couple of startups, I, yeah, I got to the point where I had so many questions in my mind that using you know, weekends and evenings, I was answering those questions as well. And it would just so happen that I wasn't answering those questions for work anymore. It was just, now I could build a website that answers this particular question instead of being focused on what I have to do at work as well. I think I built my first side project in 2001. I think it was like January or June of 2001 was when I started working on my first side project. So again, starting a trend early, I think, but, <laughs> but yeah. Right. And, and one of the things I'm, I'm interested in too, so you started this in 2001 and, and you're still creating things now. How has the process changed? I'm assuming it's gotten <laughs> easier to put things out there. What did it look like in 2001 compared to now? <laughs> much, much easier. Yeah, absolutely. No, obviously it, Technology's changed. All the software that we use, all the tools that we use, has changed. Hosting it's you know hosting the actual sites and things has got much easier as well. You used to actually have to buy hardware and put it into hosting facilities and manage it and run it yourself. Oh. Yeah, and then it got to the point where you could have a kind of a shared hosting, and now you've got to the point where you got virtual private servers and things, and now you've got cloud hosting as well, where you basically don't own anything anymore. You just, you're just renting space on, on somebody else's hardware and stuff. And there's a bunch of tools that just make that really easy in terms of managing all the bits in terms of the web server and the database server and all the other parts of the, of, of putting and sort of application together. It's, it, it used to take days, if not weeks to go from having a functioning piece of software and then being able to put it up somewhere because you would have to order you would have to order hardware and do all of these kind of things nowadays you can literally have an idea i've gone to the point where i've gone from idea to having a live site in under 2 hours yeah things have changed a lot <laughs> deploy to netlify <laughs> just yeah yeah. It takes minutes now. If you want to build a simple landing page or something like that it's just ridiculous how easy it is now yeah and I think to anyone who creates something, I have conversations about this with people my age, but I'm sure you've experienced too. There's this sort of like childish joy of seeing what you thought of come to life. So I'm just wondering, what is your you know favorite thing or, or your best story from what you've created? Like what brings back the fondest memories for you? No, I'm I, obviously being, uh, yeah, I built a lot of things over the years, both for work and for, and just side projects. I built things, I can't say for who, yeah, I'm not, I'm still, it was many years ago, but I'm still not sure legally I'm allowed to say, but like I built websites in the space of 30 days for a, from a household name for a fortune 500 company that everybody's heard of and you launch them. And because they're fortune 500 companies that have, are very well established, they literally 
go live and they have a million people come to the website the first 24 hours that they're live. And, and to be able to do things like that, it's, it's just unbelievable that when people used to people used to publish a book or whatever, it would take you six months to write the book. It would take three months to publish the book. It would take three months to ship it out to all the bookstores around the country. And then, and then maybe a year later, somebody would read the words that you wrote. It's just, it's amazing. And now you can literally sit down with a small team of people and within 30 days, within 60 days, you can go from nobody having ever heard of the thing that you're working on to having millions of people see the sort of thing that you're working on. And that happens on side projects too. Like I think the the most highest traffic site that I built just you know for fun on 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 side projects and weekends was I built three years ago. Now I built with a, with somebody I met online. I still haven't met in person. I built a website called Will Robots Take My Job, and it was just it was a very quick little two weekend side project that I built with with. We were just, we wanted to build something together, but we'd never met. We didn't know how we liked, how we worked. So we we're like, let's build something small that we can see if we like working together. And so we came up with this idea. AI and robotics was really in, in everybody's mind back in 2017-ish. Mm-hmm. That everybody was, where everybody was worried that automation and AI would shut down factories and people lose their jobs and, and, and kind of everything like that. So we found a report that was published by... Uh, a university over in England that did all of the research about what the likelihood of, I think they did it on about 750 jobs about which, which might be automated away or when they would be automated, when they would be automated away. And so we took that report, we added some extra information to it. We made it so it's easier to search for your job and we put it live. And the first week that it was live, it had a 4 million page views and by the time we sold it about a year and a half after we had uh, launched it, it had done 14 million p- p- page views. That's a lot. <laughs> and so you create this thing, so you don't own it anymore? So just someone else owns the domain? or Yeah, they purchased the whole site off of us. It was like I said, it wasn't something that we had really planned on. Like It wasn't this like big project that we were going to do for the rest of our lives or anything like that it was like let's just build this fun thing to see to see if we like working together and it obviously had a very specific name and it's a very specific domain it was literally was will robots take my job.com that was the name of the site it was the d- domain that we had used and and yeah so this it was never like this long-term vision for the for the project that it would be this thing that would make lots of money or anything like that and yeah after about a year of work we we're like we don't know what to do with this thing it was still getting i think when we sold it it was still doing about a quarter million visitors, a, a quarter million page views a month, I think. And so we would like, you know, we just have no idea what to do with this thing. Uh, and so we put it up for sale and, and we had some people who were interested. And uh, so, yeah, they purchased the whole site. They purchased the d- domain and everything. And it's now theirs. And it's still live. It's still up. You can still, you can still go visit it. It still looks very similar to what we did. Uh, they haven't changed it much. And I assume it's still doing well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually just checking it out before this. It looks like they're running some ads now. But yeah. And uh, we did too. We, once, once it went live and we saw it was getting that much traffic, we threw some ads up there just to, just to cover the cost of the hosting and stuff. And right. I think, uh, to, to be fair, though, we did in the first month, I think we made three we made three thousand dollars the the first month that it was live yeah there you go there you go and you know i'm wondering part of the things one of the things i think about is just identity i think when someone goes to college for something like computer science for example and then you go work at a big company like microsoft or something like that your the identity aspect is very clear right? It's very easy to articulate to other people what it is you do. I think in indie hacking, that becomes more amorphous. You know, what it is, I build cool things that help people. And like 99% of the time, that's correct. But that that can mean 100 different things. And so I'm just wondering what you think about that idea of doing a lot of different things. And also just being like, yeah, like I, I am where I am right now. And that's not necessarily a place that's easy to explain to people, but. <laughs> no. And I guess to be fair, again, going back to when I, going back to when I graduated, well, 
back to when I went to university in the first place, my parents were like, you're going to university for what? Because <laughs> nobody understood c- computers and mainframes and PCs and things back in 1992. And so when I told them I wasn't going to go be a lawyer or a doctor or something like that, they were like, okay. I don't think they were very happy, but but they, but they accepted it absolutely fine. So <laughs> I'm very grateful that they did and yeah and back then again nobody knew what microsoft was honestly nobody knew who microsoft was or Mm. or, you know there wasn't even apple it was even smaller than microsoft back then as well so even then it was hard like i went to work for my first job out of university was for i was for i was for a company called uh, that was, it was the second biggest software company at that time, or- Oracle. Or- yeah, and so I lasted three and a half months there, and then I quit because I didn't want to work for this big, massive company. It's a bit like I said, it was the second biggest software company in the world at the time. But even then, people didn't know what Oracle was. They didn't know what Microsoft was. So it, even back then, it, it's hard to explain to people what you do every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's just as hard now oh you just make stuff online and people pay you is that's weird but you know but ultimately that's what any enterprise any business has always been ever right somebody makes something and somebody gives them money for it it just so happens to be that we do it online now and we do it from thousands of miles away we don't have to be in the same small village as everybody else and and transact in person anymore so i think yeah i've for a long time in Paraced who I am. Like, I know that I like to create things from a pure idea. And that's my specialty. That's my weirdness. Like, I see a question or I see a problem in the world. And rather than sit there and say, I wonder what the answer to that is, I go and try and figure out what the answer is. And then I go and share it with everybody else with an application that I built. That's it's not what a lot of people do. And I do, I, I do appreciate that it is the weirdness in me. And it's the thing that does, it's the thing that wakes me up in the morning and I'm just like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to take, I want to take this thought, this idea or this question and I want to answer it. And I want to answer it in a way that allows other people to understand that answer as well. That was like the whole idea with my most recent thing, which was how many people voted. I was tired of waiting for CNN or MSNBC or whatever to update a little scroll across the sort of screen in terms of how many people had voted in whichever state you were happened to be interested in or, or the country as a whole. And I was like, can I go find this information myself? They obviously collect that information from somewhere. It's not information that CNN has itself or, or any of the major TV networks have on their own. It's all coming from each of the states, shares that information some way, somehow, and it all gets aggregated together and, and then it gets shared out over the internet. So I was like, well, if they're doing that, if they're collecting that information, I can too. <laughs> and so I did. And, and, and that I went from an idea that the website answering the very, very simple, basic question of how many people had voted in the 2020 election took me about t- t- two hours to build and I had it live. But then, yeah, that wasn't the end of the question, right? Like it was, okay, how does it split? How does it break down per state? How does that compare to 2016? How does that compare to 2012? How does that compare to... 2008 as well so all all questions that i felt needed to be answered i thought other people would find the answer interesting as well and so that that turned into that particular site and i, and I think yeah I, I think that's as we touched on that's the the awesome thing about the sort of time that we live in now is that you can find your tribe, right? It might be a tiny tribe, it might be a few hundred people, it might be a few thousand people, it might be a handful of people, but gone are the days of isolation now, right? If you want to find your tribe, you can find it. And understanding that you've cited indie hackers helped me find my tribe into people like to make things, people like to make money online, but also just, just cause I like to do that. I can also find the tribe that's interested in politics who want to know how many people have voted as well. And sometimes there's an overlap of those two tribes, but sometimes they're two completely separate entities and and you can be a member of more than one tribe at the same time as well Mm -hmm. and yeah that's such a great point because i think Cortland made the same thing is if you are interested in something that one in a million people are interested in chances are that's not going to be in your town unless your town has a massive number of people but if you look globally, that's there's fifteen thousand people that are probably interested in that same thing, and that's that's not a negligible number of people. 
And it's just so incredible um, to me that, that you have this process of just, I'm interested in this thing. Okay, let's, you know, just go do it. And so I'm wondering, wait, can, are you having trouble hearing me? My audio is like sounding weird to me on my end. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Fine. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm sounding super static in my own head, but I'm wondering if you have any insight into if if you were always that way or if, if just what it is that really drives you to put things out there. I think the the power of just putting something out there is so great, especially in this time, because people can interact with it. You can get feedback on it. You can collaborate with other people. Um, and it's definitely something that I try to get better at. And I think about a lot is that how can I get from idea to something that's uh, shareable and out there? Yeah, I think the thing that, I mean, one, I'm fortunate in that I've been doing this for a lot longer than other people have. That I feel like nowadays there's a lot of pressure on people that it's not just a side, it's not just a fun side thing anymore. Like it's a side hustle now. And it's not just something that people do because they can do it and just because they want to do it. Now it's just, you've got to do it, but it's got to replace your job and it's got to make more money than you were making at your last job. And there's a lot of pressure on people, I think, that... That, that wasn't there when I started. It was it was something I purely did for fun in weekends and evenings because I liked my job. I've got a curious mind and I like answering questions. And if I like answering these questions, other people want to know the answer to these questions as well. Like my first, the first two websites that I built, and again, this is going back to 2001. One was to do with football and soccer at the time. So again, this is going back to 2001. You yes. know, now, now, Nowadays, you're like, well, there's a million websites out there that will tell you scores of matches and who beat who and what the next fixture is and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, you know, that's easy to get online. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. In 2001, it was incredibly hard to find that information online. <laughs> and so I answered that question online. And again, one of the things that I built, again, this is in 2001. And you're like, again, there's like a TV guide. There's like a bazillion ways to know what episodes are coming on next of your favorite TV show is it going to be a new episode next week or is it going to be a rerun next week or are they skipping next week because it's a holiday? Like when is the next episode of my favorite show be online or be on TV? And again, in, in 2020, there's, you've got apps on your phone now and a million websites that will tell you all of that information. In 2001, not so much, not even TV Guide was really online. You had to go to the cable tv and find the guide there or you had to buy the tv guide and look through it but yeah so going back to obviously like i said when i got started it was much easier to, to, to solve problems because they just weren't solved online and so nowadays i think people put too much pressure on that just because there's more competition out there already so the bar is raised in terms of the sort of things that you have to do just to get to the same level people want to build the next facebook or they want to build the next whatever I've never really thought about it like that. Like in terms of, I want to build, I don't want to, I've never wanted to, my first job was at a really big company and I decided I didn't want to work at really big companies. So I never ever really wanted to build a really big (laughs) company either. And the way that I've always approached it is that people have hobbies, right? Like people have a job that they like and they go work eight to uh, eight to six, nine to five, whatever their hours are, it doesn't really matter. And they go do that job and then they come home and they do something for fun, right? Whether that's working in the garden, whether that's working in working on their car or, yeah, they've got some classic car that they're restoring or they like to do woodwork and they're making a fancy armoire or a table or whatever. It just so happens that I go to work, I build a website for a client or, or a startup that I'm working at or whatever. And then in my case, I'm still home because I don't actually leave home to go work. But once my workday's over, I like to build websites. <laughs> and I know it's weird, but, but that's it, right? It's my hobby as well as my job. And I get paid to do my, my job. And sometimes I get paid to do my hobby as well. And, uh, but I think as long as people, I think that's how most things start. And most, most things that are, you know, that are taking over the world start off like that. Like if you look, if you go back to your, the sort of origins of Facebook, mm-hmm seeing pictures of your class online, nobody ever thought that was going to make any money. Like it was just something fun that Mark Zuckerberg wanted to do. And it was a fun thing that he did as a hobby. He wanted to build a cool website. He would make himself a little bit more popular within his school. 
but it wasn't this thing that was going to have two billion people on it and make billions of dollars. It was just something fun that just continued to grow and evolve and, and became something much larger. I think if you start all of your projects like that, it's a much more likelihood that they all succeed. And it's also much more likely that you'll actually finish them and that you actually launch them as well. And when I say finish, that's the other thing I think that I try to get away from as well. You never finish software, right? Like you always get to the point where you want to share it with other people, but then you just continue to work on it because it's never finished because you're always adding new features. You're always making it do things. You're fixing bugs or whatever it is, but you're always working on it after that too. And I think people always get stuck in this idea that, oh, I've got to get to launch and then I'm finished. But, right. but, the, but the reality is that you're never finished. <laughs> yeah, I've had that small thing with certain little things that I've just done in the past. And it's so, you show it to someone. In my case, I show it to my family. And they're just like, why can't it do this? And I'm like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> let's see if I can figure this out now. Just out, of, just out of curiosity, do you have an EPL team that you follow that's your team? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I grew up in England since I was about seven years old. I've been a fan of Liverpool. Ah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I, I had the opportunity. This isn't related at all to what I said we'd talk about. But I had the opportunity to go to Anfield two years ago. And it was so funny because there were like Liverpool fans and Everton fans like showing us the city. And Liverpool was like, it's beautiful. But it was just so funny because the Everton fans would roast. A couple of my friends were with me and they're like huge Liverpool fans. They would just roast the Liverpool fans like, oh, like all your fans bring passports to the games and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the things I'm growing up in England. When I, you know, the, the sports rivalries that you have are literally people who live across the street from you, right? Like even here, when you got the New York Yankees and, and the Mets and stuff in MLB, they live in different horrors of the city yeah yeah it's not the same place versus liverpool and everton it's literally people live on the same street one half is liverpool fan one half is everton fan that's the kind of rivalry that you can't get in in a country the size of of the united states unfortunately yeah we're at enfield and they're like oh there's this garden shed with no trophies over there they're just (laughs) yeah Yeah. because everton yeah liverpool and uh, liverpool stadium and everton stadium are about one mile apart that's how close the actual stadiums are, let alone all the fans who live around it and stuff like that too. So it's, uh, and, it's and that's just not Liverpool. The same in the same in London. I mean, like Spurs and Arsenal are about, I think, three miles apart, I think it is. And yeah, so all over the country, because it's such a small country, everybody's packed in so tight. The sort of rivalries that you get are just so amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> so going back to what we were talking about before gosh okay i i you said something that that i i really liked you said sometimes i i make money from the things that i like to do and i i really love that it's you create things and who knows who'll look at them but it's i guess it's i think the point that you made that i really like that i think i'm going to take away from this is I guess the monetization and the popularity and all that, that that comes afterwards, but that's an incidental sort of happy side effect of the the better thing, which as you're expressing is just having fun and and making it a hobby. I really appreciate your viewpoint on that. Yeah, I understand. Some people are doing this because they hate their job or whatever. Some people are like, I hate my nine to five and I'm doing this thing so I can stop doing the nine to five. And their reason for doing things is their own reason. Everybody has their own path and all that stuff. But for me, I've never, again, I think this comes back a little bit to kind of understanding who you are and understanding why you're weird. And like, I I realized a long time ago that I didn't want to run a company like i didn't want to be ceo of anything i didn't i didn't want to run the next cool startup in san francisco or new york city or whatever because the things that you do when you run a company have mm-hmm. nothing to do with what your company will actually do right if, if you're a ceo of a cool tech startup you're not doing tech anymore you're not building software you're not you're not doing any of that kind of stuff anymore and so i realized a really long time ago that I didn't want to do the things that a normal CEO would do. I wanted to actually make the stuff. I wanted to be the one who wrote the code and built the website and built the app and and do all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that means that, yeah, I'm not going to be CEO. I'm not going to run a company like that, which means doing a nine to five job for me is is okay. I can, I can start work at nine o'clock in the morning. I can work till five. 
Uh, I don't typically work that schedule. I've got my own schedule, which is why I like remote work. But working for somebody else is okay because they're doing all the things I hate to do. Even when I was doing freelance work, I loved the work, but I hated having to email my clients 20 times. Like, where's my paycheck? Where's the invoice that I sent you? Why haven't you paid it? You're like, I hated that. And so I realized a long time ago that it's okay to have, yeah, have, be part of a part of an organization where somebody else handles that. Mm. And if, if you have a job that you're happy with, that's cool. Like just go find another job. I get, I get the sort of motivation of wanting to do indie hacker so that you don't have to work with somebody else, but there's a lot of jobs out there right now. And yes, I know in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard to find jobs and things like that. But if you're a, but if you're a software guy like me, finding a job is actually pretty straightforward because there's a high demand for the things that that I can do. And if you're a software person, that that's what you can do. If you're not happy in your job, the solution is not to not work for somebody ever again. The solution is to find a job that you actually like. And I think once you remove that stress out of your mind in terms of, I hate my job and I don't want to leave the house. I want to stay in my home. And then the sort of fun things of making things inside, it becomes less stressful because now now you have a job that you're happy with. And if you're just making stuff, you're just making stuff because you like making stuff, not because you've got this huge weight on your shoulders about, I got to leave my job. I got to make money and kind of things like that. And like I said, ultimately, when you do things for fun like that, they end up turning into the thing that you hope they would turn into as well, but you actually enjoy it rather than uh, yeah, putting more stress on, on, on your shoulders instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a advisor at school who told me that no one gets into technology or startups to be a CEO. You, you do it because <laughs> you're interested in solving problems and that's what you're getting at too. And so you have this ability, part of the thing I want to talk about now and give you a chance to talk about is just lifestyle design. And so you have a chance to not only pursue the questions that you're passionate about, but also design your own schedule, focus on and spend time and cultivate the things you're interested in. And it gets back to, I think I've talked about it with other people is just being multivariate, right? And doing all the different things you like to do, because then you're not pinned down by, okay, I'm mubs and I do software. Obviously that's great. But then just this aspect of freedom that I think is really appealing to a lot of indie hackers specifically. And so I'm just wondering about what have been the most positive benefits for you, you feel designing your life this way and what sort of lessons that you would take away from the experience. Yeah, it's funny because when I do speak to people who people who I met online and stuff, one 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 of the big questions that they always have for me is Mubs, you you know, you create a building stuff like why are you living in upstate new york miles away from anybody else why aren't you in san francisco with all of the other cool tech startups and stuff and and i my simple answer to that question is i don't want that lifestyle right i don't want to be crammed into a two-bedroom apartment with my two kids and my wife i'd (laughs) much rather have a four-bedroom house in the suburbs and and that was a choice that i made my father worked really long hours he would leave how he would leave home at seven o'clock in the morning wouldn't come home till seven o'clock at night and i didn't see my dad a lot when i was growing up and stuff like that and and i understand that was the only option that he had in terms of how he could work and so when it came down to me starting a family and and so i made that choice it was like i i didn't want to mm-hmm. i didn't want to go live in a big city i didn't want to have to get on the subway every morning and you know leave the house at eight o'clock and not come home till eight o'clock at night and not see my kids so that was a choice that i made and one of the reasons i'm, I'm up here is I, I was able to have a very flexible schedule I was able to attend all of the things that my kids do at school in terms of music and performances and all that kind of stuff. And also just because they were upstairs and I was working from down here, I was able to be around for first steps and kids losing teeth and all the things that kids do as they're growing up as well. And so, yeah, so that, that to me has been a sort of huge advantage of, you know, being able to work from home and, be, and being an indie hacker, but also having a job, but, but a job that I was able to get some flexibility from. I didn't have to be in an office. I could set my own schedule. I could take the kids to the doctors when they were sick and, and do all of those kind of things as well. So, yeah, it's been amazing. And, it, and 10 years ago, 15 years ago, yeah, 15 years earlier, I should say, that wouldn't have been possible. It just technology wasn't there to enable that that kind of work and and i'm just hoping that more it seems like more and more people are actually taking that opportunity to build the kind of lifestyle that they want 
yeah, I think one we I can't remember the name of the book. I was trying to I was trying to look it up, but I'm trying to remember because I read it in the start of the pandemic over again because I read it fairly recently again. But let me just see if I can find it. It just basically just said the basic premise is why do we work all of our lives until we get to 60 years old? And then that's when we're supposed to enjoy our lives. And, it is, and, and he basically just said, look, you know, you've been sold this lie that you, have to, that you have to work yourself week in, week out. You have to save lots of money just so that when you get to the point when you're 60 years old, then you can retire and really enjoy your life. But people, a lot of people don't make it that far because people pass away long before they get to the age of retirement and stuff. Uh, and he's like, why do you want to be miserable for 40 years of your life just so you can have 10 or 15 years where you're actually in enjoying your life mm-hmm. and yeah you might not get to the point where you're making millions and things like that because because you're spending money along the way because you're enjoying your life along the way um, and isn't it more valuable to build and structure a life where you're actually happy all the time instead of waiting till you're 60 and 65 before you can actually be happy <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was like yeah it's a valid point i i get why we have to save and plan i like I think this idea of stopping work when you're 60 uh, or 65 or whatever is is alien as well. I can't see myself retiring ever. I think I will just continue to work. Obviously, I'm not doing any like physical manual work where I'm just physically not going to be able to anymore. Mm-hmm. And assuming I still have my mental <laughs> faculties and things, I, I think I'll be able to do whatever I'm doing now. I'll be able to do it until until I'm 100, hopefully. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned SF. Yeah, I do talk about it with some of my friends just because that does seem to be the dream around people my age and specifically people in college. And it's so funny because if you're not making $200,000 a year in SF, at least you're just living in a cardboard box on the side of the road. And don't get me wrong. I had, oh, okay. I think the book was called uh, The Millionaire Fast Lane by uh, MJ DeMarco. But no, and don't, Get me wrong. I lived in San Francisco, right? So, so I, I've lived it. it. It was fantastic, and it was great for when I was 21, 22, 23 years old. But it wasn't what I wanted for when I was, like I said, starting a family and thinking mm-hmm. about and that. And and I think it, you just make some. It just makes some certain assumptions about your life that this is the path that you're on, and you have to stay on that path. And I don't obviously. I could have moved to San Francisco because people are like, you'll make three times what you're making now by just by living in San Francisco. Yeah. But then I also have three times the costs. So has right. the quality of my life improved to the point where it's worthwhile living in San Francisco? And, and I was like, it might, I might be able to work for years and then retire. That's, that was like the sort of vision, right? Like that you'll go work for a cool startup, you'll make lots of money and then you can stop working. I was like, one, I don't want to stop working. And two, I don't want to live this crazy, insane life for a few years just so that I can then stop working. Uh, I'd rather just have a cool, regular, chill life where I'm working to what makes sense, but I'm also enjoying my life. And if it takes me a little bit longer to get to the point where I'm financially independent or whatever it is, that's okay. I don't need to get to the point where I'm worth a hundred million bucks right now. Like it's, I don't know if I don't think I'll ever get to that point, but that's not my aim anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the ideas that you're expressing were very similar. And, and obviously that's, that says something about the sort of this whole indie hacker moment, but it's very similar to what Cortland was talking to me about and that he was saying, I didn't think there was any rush to start a company, work for a company. Most of the people I knew that started companies that were successful just went on to start more companies afterwards. So it's not <laughs> this idea of making it and then you reach some sort of plateau and then... Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the other sort of lie that San Francisco t- t- tells you as well is that most people who start companies, their first company might be successful in that the company has an exit or whatever it's still not going to get you to the point where you can quit working because you, yes, you'll have a successful exit under your book and yes, you'll have made a small amount of money. The amount of you know, ownership that you still have of your own company and stuff by the time you do the exit will mean that yes, you'll probably have enough money to buy a, a new car, but it won't get to the point where, okay, I can stop working now. You still have to go and then find another job or start another company. And hopefully your second or third you know, startup that you sell, that's the one that will actually make you a lot of money and maybe you can uh, quit. But the, the likelihood is that first one probably took you five or six years. The second one will probably still take you five or six years as well. So really, you know, you're spending 10, 15 years of your life with this dream of, of making something. Yeah. And not really 
yeah, you may enjoy your life because that's what you want to do in terms of like, I want to just build this massive startup or whatever, but really, are you enjoying your life? Are you enjoying the people around you? Are you enjoying your family? Probably not because you don't see them often enough. And yeah, I think those are great questions to ask. And I think I, I love that the idea is thinking deeply about spending your time and taking control of your time, just because yeah. it's what I think about too. And it's, I think it's something that's undervalued in a lot of ways, but it's, you know, really the only question that we're put on this earth to answer. Uh, but I also think it's something you have to ask yourself often as well. It's not just like a, a one-time question that you, have to, uh, that you have to ask yourself. You have to reevaluate where you are, where you want to be, and what you want to do. But you have to do it on a regular basis because chances are that the answer that you come up with, you know, the right after you graduate from college or university or whatever, that the answer you give is going to be completely different to the minute that you find somebody that, that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And the minute that you find out you've got a kid, chances are that, you know, what your outlook on life is and how things, how you want to live your life is going to change often. And you can't just assume that just because you answered that question once when, when you were 21, that you're going to have the same answer when you're 31 and 41 and 51 as well. Yeah. And I, I think it's a great thing. I think it comes back to our idea of just identity before that where you are right now isn't necessarily indicative of where you're going and even in some sense who you are. So I think that's a really great idea that I've taken away from what you're talking about. So just looking at the time, I would love to talk to you for, for ages and stuff. <laughs> but I, there's always one question that I like to ask people at the end. And so I just want to preface it with that. I, I want, I'm, I'm wondering what makes you the most hopeful and excited in your own life and maybe just for the world in general too. what make, you know, what makes you the most hopeful, but also, yeah. Yeah, no, I think ultimately I always go back to, I, at the end of the day, I can only control what I can control and I don't put too much stock in where the world is headed because I think to, to some degree, that's outside of our control. But, but, but I'm always hopeful that I think ultimately we, we do all want the same things. Sometimes we get a little bit distracted with things. But I think as the seven, eight, nine million people, billion people that there are on this planet, I think most of us want the same thing in terms of peace and health and prosperity and sort of all those kind of things. And I think as long as we all want the same things, I think we can achieve, I think it makes it easier to achieve those things. And, and I think that to me is always the sort of hope. As long as everybody's still tr striving in the same direction to get the same things, then we can achieve it. If we're all trying to do the complete opposite, then yeah, it becomes much harder to do it. But I, I don't think that's actually the, the case at all. I think, that's, I think that's the thing that, you know, even with this very, this election that we've had, which direction do we want to take the, the sort, of, sort of country and stuff? I think regardless of who had won the election, yes, the person in charge at the, at the top would have changed. But I think if we just remember that at the core, we do want the same things and we might take a slightly windy path to arrive at that thing, at that outcome. We do. I think we, I think there's lots of hope that we will achieve it as well. So yes, yeah, so hopefully longer term, it's not really going to make a huge difference who's president of this particular country that we happen to Evan. And it's something that's been causing a lot of <laughs> stress and anxiety. And it's so funny because I, I interviewed someone from Europe two weeks ago and he told me, or not two weeks ago, gosh, it feels like ages ago, but anyway, maybe it was two weeks ago actually. But then he told me, he said, I've been waking up at 2am to check my phone, to check the <laughs> results of the years. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Like I said, obviously it's important who's in charge because that sets like the overall tone of where we live and who we are and stuff like i said at the end of the day i think as a country as a society we still want the same things yes there might be some weird person on top saying some weird things that that we don't like to hear but as a as a people i think we still want the same things and, and i think that's always the hope and and i think more than just in this country, I think more and more people on the planet want the same thing. So it's not like we're having this cold war anymore where there's half the people want communism and half the people want capitalism. The whole world has come to the understanding that capitalism, some form or other, is what the world needs to be, you know, a, a sort of thriving place. And I think since we've, since most of the people want that, I think it will happen. And it's just a matter of time as to when that will happen. Mm hmm. 
And yeah, hopefully that we all end up driving towards that same goal. And I think a lot of the trends that we're talking about are making it more possible for people around the world to get in on this larger. Yeah. I mean, I, think, I guess just finally, yeah, just what in terms of like personal life and stuff, I think I've always been a big fan of science and technology and stuff. And I'm grateful and, and very hopeful that it, it's shown with the speed that they've been able to be being able to create the vaccines that we need to be able to combat the, the sort of pandemic that we're in that technology is getting to the point now where, yes, it's always had a huge impact on our lives, but I think increasingly people are going to see a more immediate kind of effect of just having people, having technology available to everybody that it's going to improve everybody's lives as well. So I think, yeah, so that, I think that's the thing that I think, yeah, I think ultimately that's the thing that's always been in the back of my mind. Like why did I pick computer science and stuff? Because just because I saw the sort of, advantages of embracing that sort of technology and what impact it could have. And yeah, I know it's a very specialized science and not a lot of people wouldn't call it science at all, but I think science and technology as a whole, I mean, like the people making the vaccines and things wouldn't be able to do the things that they're able to do without the, the sort of software and the tools that, they, that they've used to turn around this stuff in amazingly short amount of time. Mm -hmm. It's certainly something to be hopeful for. And, and yeah, I think you're right. I think just algorithm, just the idea of algorithms in general that underpins yeah. pretty much everything that we do is so yeah. useful in so many other industries too. Yeah. Thank you so much Mose, for talking to me. I really appreciate it. I think, you know, I, I, so, so much of what you said is really helpful in just thinking about what it means to be a creator, what it means to take control of your time, but also what it means to engage and just being an example of, of, creating and just being curious and answering questions. <laughs> so I find that really helpful and I really appreciate it. No, no problem. Yeah. I'm happy to, yeah, it's funny. I never set out to be an example to other people or anything like that, but yeah, so over the years I was, yeah, I've spoken to a lot of people and people have told me that I'm inspiring and stuff. And I'm like, that wasn't what I was aiming for, but if it helps other people make things and create things, then I'm happy to be a part of their journey as well. Okay. Thanks. Thanks so much. And yeah, certainly a, a big part of mine. And, you know, I'll hopefully send you a, a copy of the book when it's all said and done. But yeah, really appreciate it. Take care. Absolutely. We'd love to. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care and we'll see you next time.